You're in the chat room with Virginia Trioli. And on International Women's Day and, of course, Labor Day and the Monday long weekend, in the chat room is Professor Kirsty Busing, medical COVID lead at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and one of the group of Moomba Monarchs. As you know, this year, the Moomba Monarchs, as anointed by the City of Melbourne, are some really important and maybe even unrecognised frontline workers. Kirsty Busing has had a pretty busy year and uh, she's the head that wears the crown and she joins you now in the chat room. Kirsty, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Virginia. Thanks for having me. Did they actually give you a crown? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I've got it at home. Um, it's a beautiful, bright blue felt crown, um, <laughs> and I've had great fun wearing it. <laughs> do you get to keep the crown? I do, yes. So it's yours. Lovely. It is, yes, and some of the nurses and other staff at work have had a trial and some <laughs> photographs, so we all feel involved. And um, do particular powers come with the crown? that I've discovered yet, but who knows? <laughs> it's nothing to prevent you throwing your weight around there, Professor. You could. I mean, come on. <laughs> Perhaps so. Take it, take it while you've got it. Um, could you, if you had to write your last year in a headline, and I'll help you write the headline here, what would it be like? Oh, it would just be a year like no other. Um, and, and really the, the discovery of sort of untold talents amongst our colleagues and the real bringing together of people in uh, um, a fabulous sense of teamwork and camaraderie that got us through an extraordinarily difficult time. Tell me about how you think you imagined the year was going to pan out when we all heard news of the pandemic, say, in January, early February. You must have sort of, um, as we do, you know, we imagine using our mind's eye what that might look like for the next few months. And did it line up with reality? Um, I think, to be honest, um, if I reflect back to sort of February and early March, we were pretty scared. Um, we, we were watching what was happening in the US and, and Europe and we were preparing for some extraordinary numbers that, of patients who might um, need to be cared for in the hospital and trying to come up with ways to do that safely. Um, you know, what panned out was that the, the work that the community did in, as we all know, you know, um, flattening the curve um, made made the difference and we didn't have to grapple with the numbers that all the modelling predicted that we might have to um, if, if that flattening of the curve didn't happen. Yeah, that was the, the really hard time. I mentioned before how the Royal Melbourne Hospital really uh, took up and had to deal with the pressure coming from the north and west of Melbourne during the second wave, which is where it was largely concentrated. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We, um, uh, along with colleagues at the Western and at Northern Health in particular, I think we we really copped the brunt of what was going on. Um, and and you know it was overwhelming at the time. You know, from one day to the next, a, a different challenge emerged. But you know, it was that creativity and um, just you know thinking outside the box and finding solutions quickly that that really got us through i think the royal melbourne hospital really found itself at the center of the maelstrom from time to time as well you had a um, a real problem with the outbreak there at your royal park campus uh and uh, pressure applied there and also infections of your front of your um health workers there uh, them getting infected while they were at work as well that that must have made for a very tense time yeah, it was it was absolutely frightening. Um, and and to those um, colleagues, you know, I, I 
I, I see how, you know, difficult it was turning up to work every day and seeing, you know, your co-workers getting sick. Um, and, you know, for many of us, um, we were making the phone calls to those people and, and talking them through, understanding a diagnosis when it happened and what we had to do and what the impact was on, on all their co-workers at the time because it wasn't just the person who'd become unwell but it was then the contact tracing and furlough of everyone who'd been around them. So the impact was broad. But um, and, and, you know, these people were doing everything that was asked of them and, and at times, even despite that, still getting sick. So, yeah. you know, that's what was really challenging. Well, it was. And, and Professor, I, I hope we can sort of talk frankly this morning because, you know, we're a fair way now beyond that, that very difficult year. And, you know, and politically, I, I get that it was difficult for people to sort of speak their mind. But I was hearing from, you know, lots of people within the Royal Melbourne Hospital and around it at that time, you know, where, where they they believed that their calls for better PPE were not being properly acknowledged and that perhaps the official line coming out of health wasn't exactly what they thought would have been best for them to protect them. Reflecting back on that, what's a better way for us to have those those tough conversations where you're in the middle of a crisis and people really want to be listened to and they want to know that maybe a contradictory idea will be received in the spirit with which it's been offered? Well, well, I think you're right in saying it's in the middle of a really chaotic and difficult time. And I think one of the things that I know that I personally did, but also a lot of the other leaders in the hospital was doing walk-arounds, so actually physically getting out there every day in the wards, talking to the staff, listening to the staff, watching what they were doing and, and hearing their concerns, you know, asking them, you know, what else do you think we need to improve? Where do you think the problems might be? And my honest um, view of what happened was that we were following the evidence, we were listening to our colleagues and when we saw that the instructions that we were being given weren't working as effectively as what we wanted, we moved. Um, so I think you would know, Virginia, that we were the first hospital in the country that moved to N95 masks mm. and that was that was ahead of uh, state, national and even international guidelines at the time. So we were being proactive, we were listening to our staff um, and, and this was, you know, there was international controversy over over the issue of the mask. So, you know, we were trying to balance what we were being told to do. Um, you know, we, we work in a system and we, we, we're supposed to sort of um, follow the guidance that we're given yeah. but then balancing that against what we were seeing at the front line and, and I, I think to their credit um, our staff speak up. We have a culture of speaking up for safety. Um, they spoke up, we listened and we moved. Um, and, and, you know, uh, the information has been unfolding over time. You know, when what we know now, when I look back at what we knew in February, um, you know, last year, a lot has changed. That's really interesting. And, and I imagine that must have been a, uh, maybe even a, a, f a frightening or anxious moment deciding that you were you were quite deliberately going to go against the official advice and run your own race that's right yes uh, that, that's clearly correct it wasn't an easy decision um but i think the hospital uh the people the team around me um it wasn't just my decision um, but the team around me you know we moved together um yeah. and we supported one another in making that decision and and we communicated it back you know we explained why we were moving we we advocated and, and reflected back and again i have to um say that, that, that the representatives at the state and Commonwealth listened to us. You know, they, they, they were open to hearing from us because we were, we were experiencing stuff that 
others hadn't yet. Um, so, you know, if there was going to be if there were going to be problems, we were going to be the first to encounter it. I think it's really interesting, and I just want to pick up that observation you made about, you know, there was still, it was still unknown, or we were still getting information, and, you know, the, the use of, say, let's stay with that example, um, Professor Kirsty abusing about N95s, you know, was not, um, set in stone in the early days. I heard an interview, and I wonder what you think of this. I heard an interview the other day with the actor Kate Winslet, who, as you might remember, played one of the lead roles in what became one of our most watched movies during lockdown, which was Contagion, and which, of course, you know, turned out to be almost a perfectly accurate reflection of what went on in this pandemic. And the filmmaker is still in touch with many of the people at the CDC in America who he relied on for writing that script, which turned out to be so accurate. And in the very early days in January, he got a, she got a call from the director saying, Kate, it's on, it's happening, just just as we, you know, depicted in Contagion, it, it, that's how it's going to be. Um, you know, socially isolate, work from home, get your N95, wear your N95. And I found it so interesting that this filmmaker, <laughs> more than even our authority, were right was right on it from the beginning because he'd spent so much time being close with those people in the Centre for Disease Control and other universities that he knew the subject well. Well, I think, Virginia, it's important to say that infections are all different. And just because there was one in a movie that was based on, you know, <laughs> whatever that virus might have been that they were talking about doesn't mean it applies to SARS-CoV-2. Except that, so, it, did t- except that it, it did turn out applying. Well, no, Virginia, I'd have to say that telling people to wear N95s in the community would be incorrect advice. So so I think that director wasn't giving Kate Winslet <laughs> the right advice. Um, you know, we, we recommend surgical masks or indeed even cloth masks in the community. So I think extrapolating from what the directors interpreted from, from their um, conversations might not be quite so wise and, and that it's probably a bit more nuanced than that. Look, I'm not in any way suggesting that he's some authority on this, whereas you're not. That's not the point of recalling that story. It's more that... The discussions were being had, and I think that's something that we need to reflect on, don't we, as we look back on that year, that there were there were those voices um, either in the medical community or even outside or even from different parts of the of the ethnic community who had different views on this and I wonder if going into the next one because Professor we're all told that they're going to be in, there's going to be another one if we need to rethink how we even have those conversations and who is listened to. Yeah, I think I think um, that the broad concept you're talking about there, Virginia, is listening to people, and I think that's critically important. Because I, I don't think that went on. I don't think there was a, a great sense of listening to. I know that wasn't your organisation. I'm not saying that, but more generally, we can reflect, can't we, that there was a sense of uh, where the guys in charge, whether it be federally or state, and that's it. I, I don't think that was my experience, Virginia. I think I think. There were experts who were interpreting the evidence because we're, we're trying to treat the patients. So we're at the front line. We're, we're reading as many patients as we can, but mm. we do rely on external experts to really process and digest the information and provide us with the recommendations. So there is trust and faith in, you know, these people are very credible experts, colleagues of mine who I would look to for advice. Um, so, so um, you know, I, I think you earn your credibility um, if you're an expert and... And um, we did rely on them, but, but when we saw that it wasn't working for us clinically, we fed that information back. And I, I do have to say again that, to their credit, they did listen to us. 
Professor Kirsty Busing is with you today in the chat room, medical COVID lead at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and one of the Moomba Monarchs. So what's top of mind for you and your colleagues right now, Professor, as you head into the beginning of this vaccination program? Oh, the vaccination program is very exciting. And, and you know, just watching the smiles on the faces of my colleagues when they go in and that sense of hope and, um, you know, it, it's been an exhausting year and when... You know, we are still, you, you mentioned before the, the need to be prepared for the possibility of a third wave and I don't want to frighten the community because we hope that's not going to happen and we hope that with vaccination in place we're going to be able to avert that. But um, our staff were really feeling exhausted at the thought mm. of a third wave and so having a tool like vaccination that, that we hope will, you know, help us to avert that um, is, is, you know, terrifically important for maintaining our morale and, um, and positivity. Um, so, you know, it, it's incredibly important. Will the hospitals or your hospital in particular, Professor, will it play a role in the mass vaccination? Would you become a vaccination hub or centre? Uh, so we already we already are. Um, so so we've been vaccinating for the precinct. So the Royal Melbourne Hospital, Peter Mack, the Royal Children's and the Royal Women's staff have all been actively coming to the Royal Melbourne and getting their vaccinations. Um, how that will roll out to the community more broadly, uh, I think we're still waiting for the final advice on. Um, there have been indications that we will play a role in that, but but um, I, I don't know the fine detail on it at this point. Will, will that be very um, intensive for your hospital? Hospital will, will that be tricky in terms of staffing and just the space you need? Because um, yes, we understand yes. that you know, a lot of space is needed to you know socially distance and safely uh, and effectively vaccinate a whole lot of people at one time. Yeah, absolutely. So this is an enormous logistical exercise. You know, space, staff, um, just policies and procedures, getting them up quickly, and and really just. Um, the safe handling of the vaccine itself. So um, just getting this up for our own staff has been an extraordinary um, activity and, and, you know, the team have worked incredibly hard doing that. And, um, you know, as we increase capacity, it, it really is going to be a challenge those exact things that you talked about, recruiting more staff and finding more space and those sorts of things, but but we're working on it. And when we finally get through this one and hopefully all those different vaccines maybe in, in combination uh, or as we, you know, develop a, a different response to different variants of the vaccine, what would you like us all to remember when we get to some better place in anticipation, and hopefully it doesn't happen, but in, anticip- in, in anticipation of another one? Well, well, I think I think you know. Remember the fact that that um, um, this has been an extraordinary advance in science to have a vaccine come about in you know within a year of, of this thing first happening, first um, sort of being recognised. And I sometimes have to stop myself and think how absolutely incredible that is, mm. and um, how very lucky we are um, to to be in a position where that's been able to happen. And then not only for the vaccine to be you know, created, but then the logistic exercise to roll it out and to be freely available to us as Australians. I mean, I'm extraordinarily grateful for that. Well, congratulations on being one of the Moomba Monarchs, Professor, and um, I hope we get to chat with you again. Thanks so much. Good on you. Thanks, Virginia. Ta-da. Professor Kirsty Busing, Medical COVID Lead at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Now, I-